but I don't want to be that version of myself. And it's like, hey, that version of yourself could be the best version of yourself. love. How are you? I'm doing super well. How are you today, Kylie? I'm good. I'm good. I um, actually saw one of your TikToks, or maybe it was on Instagram. I saw you post about how you had your eating disorder for nine years. Yeah. And it made me kind of pause and think, what is it? Like, what is it about certain people, and my hand is in the air, I am one of these certain people, that makes us predispositioned to having an eating disorder? And nine years is such a significant amount of time. And I just found myself this morning as I was going about my morning thinking, what is it? Like, what are the significant moments in your life that you connect to like developing your eating disorder in the first place? Wow, there's so much to unpack in that statement. But nine years is a really long time and I'll just add in, it was on and off. And I think that's the reason it took me so long to seek help was because I was like, oh, it's seasonal. I just called it a seasonal eating disorder because it would come, it would go, it would have its peaks, it would die down. And back then the criteria of a eating disorder or bulimia nervosa, binge eating was quite different. And it was, I guess, harder to meet that criteria. So it was on and off, but there are moments that I can definitely pinpoint influenced my relationship with my body weight, shape and size. How about you? Can you think of moments? Oh, definitely. Like I've had so much therapy on this topic, so much time to reflect And I'm naturally one of those people that likes to kind of get into the weeds of why I am the way I am. I like to kind of pull at the threads and uncover these things. And there are definitely moments I can recall, like from a really young age, that I think led me down that path of developing such a severe eating disorder, particularly in my early 20s. You know, there are standout moments for me, Steph, like... I can remember um, I can remember being in grade six and sticky taping my stomach so that it would be flatter wow. under my under a dress that I was wearing. Actually, no, it was grade seven because I'm from Queensland, so grade seven was the end of primary school then. I think now it's changed. And so we had our grade seven end of year graduation and I had this white dress on and I got a roll of like packing tape and I taped my stomach down because I was so self-conscious and so afraid, like really afraid that someone would see the shape of my stomach against my dress. And I guess when I think about that, it breaks my heart. Like it breaks my heart to think of a child who is in grade seven, who's having those thoughts, who already understands that a smaller body is perceived to be better and that I would sticky tape my body to try and make it better. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. 
Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, how would you even learn that? How did you even think of using sticky tape? at that age. Did you see it somewhere or? Well, I remember overhearing a conversation where one of my mum's friends had spoken about taping her boobs, taping Mm. her breasts down because they were quite large and to get into a smaller dress. I overheard that conversation. I also think just reflecting on that time in my life, a lot of the content, and I say content back then, we didn't call it content, but I was watching TV shows like The Swan, you know, that makeover show. Do you remember it? Yes. I've always wanted to do a TikTok on the top three most unethical TV shows. And I think that was up there where they do these drastic transformations. People sign a waiver of their life and they get all this extreme surgery to become better looking. Yeah. And the just like the moral undertone of you are not worthy of good things unless you meet these beauty standards. And so there's that side of things, you know, top model was also on and there wasn't a lot of like size inclusivity back then. You know, I recently interviewed um, a wonderful woman and she calls herself a fat activist And we got into it in terms of, I said to her, you know, growing up, the word fat had such a negative connotation in my household and I think in a lot of people's households. And so things like these TV shows, The Swan, The Biggest Loser, uh, all of those sorts of things, and also tabloid magazines, right? You know, at that age, you would walk through Woolworths and you would see magazines that said, cabbage soup diet, how to get in shape, lose five kilos in a month, like those sorts of things. There's so much messaging out there about how important it is and how much more valuable you are if you exist in a smaller body. Yeah. And it was so normalized. I feel just our generation was just the messed up generation when it came to body weight, shape and size. There's not one woman I know who hasn't on some point of the spectrum been affected or influenced by their body weight, shape and size. And it was so normalized. Remember the biggest loser? There was clips of them abusing people on the treadmill and screaming and these people lost significant amounts of weight and many of them put it right back on because it was so unsafe and unsustainable and it was TV and we would watch it and we'd love it and think, oh my God, they lost nine kilos in one week. Now it's a completely different world we live in and I think we've come so far, but it doesn't mean the damage and the triggers are not still there. On the topic of triggers, can you think of anything that triggered you to kind of go down that slippery slope of having disordered eating? 
There were two things. Basically, when I was younger, I wanted to be a model, a singer, a dancer. I just loved being in the limelight. I don't know why. There was this story I just recall actually when I was a kid and I would go to the supermarket with my mom and my sister and I would purposely get lost. I would lose myself. So I would go up to the counter, the service desk and say, excuse me, I'm lost. Um, And they'd say, okay, we'll call your name over the speaker because I wanted to hear my name called out over the speaker. And I would lie about my age. They'd say, we've got a young girl, her name's Stephanie, and uh, she's eight years old. And my mom knew it was me because I wasn't eight. I was maybe five or six, but I just wanted to to be, you know, have my name called out. It's so weird. So I think from a young age, I just, I liked being in the spotlight and I just wanted to look the way people looked on TV, the way they looked in magazines and bodybuilders was a really big thing back then. And I just got this fascination with them. So I believed in order to pursue that, to look like a model, a singer, a dancer, I had to look a certain way. And then I did get into uh, modeling a little bit and I had a photo shoot with this really creepy guy And he sort of paused the camera and looked at me and was like, did you eat before you came? This was the bikini shoot. And I was like, yeah, had sandwich, whatever. He said, you shouldn't eat. You look bloated. And I was this 15-year-old girl and the photo of me is in my book. And I do not look bad at all. But that triggered me to think, oh my gosh, I can't eat bread anymore. It's going to bloat me. I need to lose weight if I'm going to make it in this industry. And that's where my restriction really started. When you think back to that time of having a photo shoot at 15 years old and a bikini photo shoot with a male photographer, are there, you know, any thoughts or feelings that you have that make you wonder, why did my parents let me do that? And I I ask that question, not in a way of judging your parents, right? I ask the question because it's something that comes up for me all the time now. I was doing like underwear modeling at a very young age, like 15, 16. I was up on stage dancing similar to you. I was part of a Moulin Rouge performance where we were literally like gyrating against one another as teens at like the local fair and local shopping (laughs) centers. And I just think now as a parent, you know, I don't know that I would be super comfortable allowing my teenager to be so sexualized overtly. But then at the same time, I say that out loud, Steph, and I think, well, that is kind of part of being a teenager is testing the boundaries with your sexuality. But is there a safe way of doing it? It's so interesting. And do you know what's funny? My mum never wanted me to get into this. When I was even younger, my sister did a photo shoot of me. I was maybe six and they sent them into a modeling agency and I didn't get a call back. And I thought it was because my mum purposely submitted the photo where my stomach looked very big. And even, even as a six-year-old, I thought, oh my God, my tummy is so big. That's why they didn't call me back. And mum's trying to self-sabotage me because That's she doesn't sick. want me to get the gig. Yeah. I think I was six when I first had photos, not sexual photos or anything like that. They were just, you know, cute. Yeah. And she'd always say to me, you know, models have eating disorders in a Greek thick accent. I'd be like, you just don't want me to be happy. You don't want me to live my dream. And lo and behold, I got an eating disorder. So 
I would push so hard. I'm like, I want this. I want this. And my parents were so supportive. They just wanted me to be happy. So they paid for this photo shoot. They would drive me to the modeling agent and do all this. And this guy actually ended up, if you Google him, you'll find reviews and he was a bit of a dodgy character. But yeah, my mom didn't want me to go into it. She had this belief that models have eating disorders and they just let me do it because I was pushing and I wanted it. And it was my dream as a child. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think like for me, there was a lot of self-worth or value tied up in my appearance. And I can remember very specific exchanges happening as a child. And now as an adult, I think about them and I realize that with an adult brain, it wasn't intended in the way that my childlike brain took it on board. But there were so many instances where I would hear a conversation and what I would hear was that my role in the family was to be the pretty one because I had a sister who was the smart one and I had a sister who was the funny one. And Kylie, she's probably not going to amount to much, but she's pretty at least. And I can remember my dad saying to me, you're going to grow up and be a flight attendant and then you're going to spend time in places that you can meet a doctor or a lawyer. And like that was kind of what I understood to be my character journey, like my my (laughs) hero's journey for lack of a better expression was just be as pretty as you can. And what does be as pretty as you can mean? It translated to being as small as you can be because that was the messaging all around me. It was, you know, the time of where Paris Hilton was mega famous and Nicole Richie became much more famous as she became much smaller. Like all of those sorts of things, I think really formed this spider's web that created this entanglement. Like it's not one thing. It's not the one exchange. You know, I was part of um, like modeling parades and modeling competitions at a really young age. I can remember being in the local shopping center at like 11 or 12 and competing to be like the face, the face of our suburb or whatever it is. I remember those. Yes. And it's so like demoralizing and soul-destroying as a child to stand up there in a lineup against other children and have people literally judging your face Mm. and then you're like, your face isn't good enough. Mm -mm. And I remember there was competitions to be the Spice Girls and people at shopping (laughs) centres, you would go with your friends and audition to be a Spice Girls and even Posh Spice, she was incredibly thin and we were just fed it, especially with back in the day, the Paris Hilton and that TV show they did and Nicole Richie, they played the dumb, silly blondes that were just hot and that was reinforced and we were fed that message. So I'm not surprised that we, you know, learned that messaging. And it's interesting now because Paris Hilton is actually a very intelligent woman and now she's advocating for so much more and you wouldn't have thought that back then because of how they were portrayed in the media. Well, that's it. And if you keep that kind of same lens on as in looking at it like you're trying to get a sense of self-worth, of value, that really correlates to you just want to be loved. You know, I can remember saying to a therapist when I was going through recovery, you don't understand, I would literally take 20 years off my life 
to be skinnier, like to lose weight because I'd put on weight through the recovery process. And I was trying to explain to her how uncomfortable, like how deeply, deeply uncomfortable I felt. And I said to her, like, this isn't just feeling not good. Like I would shorten my life by 20 years if I could lose 10 kilos. And she said to me, Kylie, what I'm hearing is that you would shorten your life to feel loved. And I was like, oh, like that was like such a breakthrough moment for me because I was really chastising myself. I was feeling so guilty because it's such a silly, trivial thing to say, like so much shame and embarrassment around that thought, let alone verbalizing it. And to have someone not uh, admonish me and say, you silly woman, you've got so much to live for. Don't be so ridiculous. She saw straight through it and she saw your eating disorder wasn't actually at all about the weight for me. Like I've never had body dysmorphia. I've never looked in a mirror and thought that I'm not how I look. I don't have that aspect Mm. of it, but I did just have this severe attachment to controlling how I could be valuable and how I could be loved and be quote unquote, the good girl, like play Mm. that part to within an inch of my life, I guess. And yeah, so when I think about as Paris Hilton has come forward and she's sharing more about her story and how she was playing a role and using the sexy baby voice and all of that sort of stuff, it's like, yeah, she was cashing in on it, but she just wanted to be loved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think honestly, what you have just said is what every woman listening to this has thought. And it's very brave of you to say that. What would you have given up or what even now do you think you would do for the women listening to lose weight? We were fed the message, oh, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And I've had clients come to sessions, young adolescent girls quoting that and believing that's the way to be. And I think it is a sad reality, but you have to dig deeper. People just say, I want to lose weight. You have to really dig deeper and say, why? What is that going to give me that I can't get now? What is it? Yeah. What is it for you or what was it for you? What do you think sparked you to seek recovery? Mm, What sparked me? It got to the point where it affected my life too much. You know, I was just zoning out. I wasn't present. I was driving home one day. And I was actually on the wrong side of the road. And I'm like, what the F? I was so tired from binging and purging and exhausted. And I'm just like, I can't live like this. I'm studying to be a psychologist. How am I going to help people when I'm the one who needs help? And I did therapy. I did see an older male therapist and it was okay. But I honestly don't think it was therapy that helped me. It was other pivotal moments in my life that I helped myself through it. Like some wake-up call moments. Yeah. I think what I usually say to people is it's about designing a life where the eating disorder has no oxygen. So people design their lives to be able to have an eating disorder. They will schedule their binges. They'll say no to social events. They will excessively exercise. They'll move out so they can live with this eating disorder. But for me, it was getting in a relationship with a guy who had a really healthy, normal relationship with food. That was one thing that felt healing to me because he'd be like, just eat, 
okay, we would go out for dinner and I wanted to appear quote unquote normal or healed. So I just acted like a person without an eating disorder. I would say, what would a girl without an eating disorder do right now? She would eat the pancakes. What would a girl who didn't have an eating problem think? How would she react to this? And by thinking that and then acting it and sitting with the discomfort, slowly over time, it changed my brain because it made me realize, hey, if I eat pizza, I'm not going to put on all this weight. Hey, I don't need to start a diet every Monday. So by embodying who I wanted to be and practicing that, I slowly became that. I love that. There's a really great quote and I can't remember who it's by, whether it is uh, the author of Atomic Habits, James Clear, or whether it's the author of um, Tiny Habits, BJ Fogg, both great books on habit formation. But one of them has this quote about how every action you take is a vote for the person that you want to become. And so you saying that you thought to yourself, what would I do if I didn't have an eating disorder? That then gave you an action that you could take and it's voting for you to become that girl that doesn't have an eating disorder. So I think that's such helpful advice. Like sometimes we think that you've got to wait until you feel or until you do this deep therapy work and you have this massive breakthrough before you can create any positive change. But I love that you kind of separated yourself because we do have a few selves. You know, you've got your experiential self when you're in it and you're feeling all of the feels and the emotions and stuff. But then you also do have that, you know, kind of zoom out perspective where you can say, okay, what does my experiential self need to focus on? Well, she can act in a way that she would if she didn't have an eating disorder. Yes. And practicing that every day. And I always say to the women I work with, whatever feels harder in the moment is usually the right thing to do. If it feels harder to eat the pizza than say no to it, you know, eat the pizza. If it feels harder to sit with the urge to purge, sit with that urge to purge. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah. And to know that you can survive that discomfort is such an incredible life skill. I think often what ends up happening is we do have something going on below the surface that we're trying to avoid. We're trying to suffocate a need we're trying to meet. And it's like, you're so busy running away from that feeling that you can find yourself forming these habits, these behaviors that can be so destructive and eating disorder can be so destructive. And really what you're trying to avoid is just discomfort in your body that if you just sat and experienced it, maybe the need to run away into those behaviors or get lost into those more destructive behaviors would actually dissipate. Yes. And for everyone, it's different. And this is something we figure out is what need is the behavior meeting? So for everyone, it's different. It may be working towards, oh, if I'm skinnier, I'll be loved. For some people, it's 
avoiding an uncomfortable emotion. So it's really about what is that behavior serving? What need is it meeting? And then after you know your own formulation and then trying to meet that need in different ways. What are some things that keep you on track day to day? You and I have discussed this in past episodes, Steph. Yeah. So I've shared with you that I think it's so common for those of us that have a history of eating disorders to still be captivated mm. in a way. You know, it's the same as me. Like I always am interested in hearing someone's eating disorder story. Like I just am. And yeah. I think to myself, there are certain things that I do to prevent myself going down that slippery slope again. And I would just love to know from your perspective, do you have things that you do personally even now that help, like help you stay on track? Yeah, for sure. And it's such a delicate dance, which I'm still trying to navigate when it comes to exercise, because I am someone who does feel amazing after I exercise. And this morning I woke up, I felt super like tired and I was like, oh, maybe I should just self-care. But then part of me was like, no, you know, you love exercise. So I'm trying to navigate that at the moment. Like what is the balance for me without feeling exhausted at the end of the week versus just doing what feels, yeah, feels good. So I think what keeps me on track is definitely consistently exercising, but not to the point where I feel tired, but then also not to the point where I'm not doing it enough. Um, cause I know exercise makes me feel good. It releases endorphins and it's social. It's a way that I'm making friends here, etc. So having a regular exercise routine and a set time to go, that's one thing that I guess helps boost my mood because when my mood is boosted, when I feel good, I'm going to make decisions that fuel me. And the other thing, yeah, what were you going to say? <laughs> Steph can see me. I'm like, because uh, uh, I was just going to add to that before I forget. It's very likely I'll forget that I'm, I so hear you there with the exercise stuff. And people have said to me in the past, particularly on social media, do you think you still have some sort of issue because you exercise five days a week and those sorts of things? And mm-hmm. I can recognize on the surface that that may present to be problematic for some people, but the difference for me, and I'm curious about how you feel about this, like, as you said, you're navigating at the minute. The difference for me right now is this version of me, if I was to decide to not exercise today, that would be it. I wouldn't think about it again. I wouldn't beat myself up over it. I wouldn't have regret. I wouldn't feel angsty. Whereas 10 years ago, I had this level of angst until I had worked out. And I would work out rail, like rain, hail, or shine. I, I had this 5K loop that I had to do. And I had mm. tension in my body from my shoulders to my toes until I completed it. You know, I would go on overnights as a flight attendant and set my alarm for 3.30 in the morning so I could go and use the hotel gym because the pain of getting up and running at 3.30 in the morning was less than the pain of waiting until I got home Not at 10 a.m. You know, not even doing it, just doing it later in the day. Whereas for me now, like I haven't worked out today and I plan on working out at some point this afternoon and I will, but I don't have that tension in my body until I train. And if something happens, like the boys are at my mum's this afternoon and if they ring me and say they want to be picked up early and I can't get a workout in, I don't care 
So that's yeah. the difference. Like you can have the same behavior, but have a different physiological and emotional response to it. Yes, you're cognitively flexible now, whereas back then it was rigid, inflexible, had to be done. I feel the same way. If it happens, I feel wrapped and I'm like, yes, go girl. And if it doesn't, I'm cognitively flexible and okay with that. So yeah, the exercise one's really, really interesting because as we mentioned, eating troubles, struggles, they happen on a spectrum. And we've kind of, there's this movement that is beautiful about body positivity and accept yourself and accept your roles and self-care and cellulite. It's all good. And then there's, you know, on the other side, the eating disorders, but it's, it's okay to sort of fall somewhere in the middle of that where you're like, I need some sort of discipline to do my exercise, but not to the point that it's going to be detrimental on my well-being and mental health. Exactly. And I cut you off before you said exercise helps you and then you were going to lead into something else. And practicing what I preach. So the other day we went out for lunch and always when I go out, I enjoy healthy options. I like eating whole foods, but I'm like, I want the burger. I want it. I always see my partner eating the burger. And I guess a burger isn't always growing up. It's not a socially desirable lady thing to eat. Now I know that's very different, but I just wanted to eat a burger and I got the chips, I got everything and it was so yum and so enjoyable and I felt so fulfilled. So what keeps me on track is practicing what I preach, which is loving and accepting yourself where you're at whilst working on the best version of you. And the best version of me is someone who does eat whole foods, but if I want a burger, I'm going to eat the burger. Yeah. And it was good. I love it. As you were talking that, I was like, yeah, we need to have a date at um, Paddock and go and have That's a big sandwich. That's where it was. Wasn't oh, funny because they have That's the where it was. sandwich. Brenda and I were going to go at the, at the weekend to get it. There's this toasted sandwich there that we are obsessed with. It is so delicious. So we'll have to have a date there now that you've bought up I mean, burgers. Right kind of lunchtime. But that's such helpful advice. And again, it's really in that similar vein of who do you want to be? Mm, Who do you want to be? Because that's the same thing. I still have goals when it comes to my health and my fitness. It just looks different. It's not a weight goal anymore. Like now it's working out, you know, my gut health, adrenal health, um, energy levels. It's working out a certain number a week. I still have that because I am that determined person that does want to constantly strive to improve myself. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think people fear recovery when it comes to disordered eating because they think they're just going to accept and not exercise and not eat healthy and not do those things anymore. But it's okay to still be that person just at a less intense and less impactful way. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I completely understand what you're saying there. You can still be healthy and exercise and eat well and have goals without having an eating disorder or disordered eating. Yeah. And I love that your book is called Food Jail because that's what it's like. And so you could have the exact same, you know, surface level behaviors of that consistent exercise, but you're in a jail, you're in a prison. And I Mm. feel like so many women, especially, are like are in this food jail they've got so many food rules that we learned from a very young age uh it's it's an interesting thing to think about how many food rules do you have 
Yes. And that's why from Food Jail, the book, I've developed Food Freedom, the program, because it is a program designed to shift people from that prison to that freedom by changing so many elements in the way they think, the way they act, the way they feel. Because at the end of the day, what got you here is your thoughts. It's not what you're eating. You're eating what you're eating because of your thoughts and you're eating as much because of your thoughts. So people think it's the body they need to change, but it is the mind. It's interesting as well, because with food jail, there almost comes a sense of safety. You've created this jail for yourself to stay contained. If someone is interested in gaining food freedom, but it sounds scary, could you talk us through what's actually involved just a little bit, like in terms of what to expect? Because Mm. I imagine people will be listening going, well, yeah, I'd love food freedom, but I'm actually not ready. Like I'm not ready to throw out all the rules. Like what can people expect? And that's okay. We talk about that. I have modules on it. So it's a 12-week transformative program for anyone who struggled with their relationship with food, binge eating, body, all of that. And we start off just by getting a bit of structure in your eating, looking at your eating. We're not changing what you eat or the way you eat, but there are certain strategies you need to do to minimize binge eating. And then for the people who aren't ready, I talk about that. I talk about weight gain worries because one of the biggest reasons people don't go on a journey is because they're worried they're going to gain weight, but you're stuck in this jail because you're worried you're going to gain weight. So it's about addressing those concerns. If you think you're not ready, ask yourself why. What is holding me back? What am I afraid of in working towards food freedom? And for many people, I think it's the fear of gaining weight, but it's the opposite. People who start to embrace this journey, your weight may change a bit, but usually it doesn't change much. And in some people, their weight actually goes the opposite because they're eating properly again, their metabolism's working, they have more energy, they feel good about life, so they're less inclined to engage in maladaptive coping such as binge eating, drinking, etc. It's really interesting that you mentioned that, Steph, because I've just released a members-only podcast episode where I talk about a DM that I got that really, really annoyed me. And I won't go too far into the weeds of it here, but it was this woman asking me to share how I've changed my body shape because in her words, she can see that I've got muscle definition that I didn't have before. So to give her the information. And my response was that I'm just happier overall. And that's the truth for me. I am happier overall. I have a much better relationship with food than I've ever had in my whole life. And I've had that experience of, yeah, I've actually lost a bit of weight, but I'm eating a much larger variety. And when I'm not well, when I'm sad and depressed, I fixate and focus on food more. And so this woman was comparing the Kylie she followed online two years ago to current Kylie. And my response to her was, I am happier. And she kicked off about it. She was not happy that that was the response I gave. It was Mm -hmm. like I was gatekeeping. And I'm like, no, 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 like that is a true response And it's also uh, reflective of the time I have available right now, like to say to you, it's Sunday night and I'm like, you know, I'm just happier. And I shot that response off. 
but she was really dissatisfied with that answer. Yeah. Like people want a step-by-step guide and it's like, no, no, if you if your body shape has changed and you're smaller, then it must be because you're following something strictly. And I just want to say on that topic of food freedom, this is the first time in my life that I will order the burger as well, that I will have the pizza, that I will have, like, I will eat so much more and I enjoy food. Like Brendan and I talk about food and where we're going to go. And just the fact that I actually am genuinely excited to say to you, you have to go to Paddock and have the turkey and brie toasted sandwich. That's my dream. That's the one I want to try. It's heaven. It's got like dried fruit in it. It's got walnuts. It's so creamy. It's so dense. It's so delicious. And I genuinely look forward to it. And so I guess I just wanted to share that because listeners might think, oh, food freedom means eating whatever you want. Yeah. And I was going to say, let myself go. And I hate that expression. It's such a shit expression, but I think people will go, well, I don't want to actually like food freedom sounds great, but I don't want to be that version of myself. And it's like, hey, that version of yourself could be the best version of yourself. Yes. Yes. And I, I get it. And that's why I think I'm different. There's a lot of people out there promoting an all in approach and love yourself and all that. I'm in the middle. I think let's sort of accept where you are now, but let's continue to to work towards the best version of you. And that's not to say the version of you at the moment isn't good enough, but self-love and growth and happiness comes from progress. And if you're not progressing in your life, you're not going to feel happy. And progress doesn't mean it's all about your weight. So I really believe in one tweak a week and it's more mindset. And this is going to serve you in all areas of your life. Food freedom doesn't mean don't worry about it. Let's eat burgers every day. It's like, let's create a mindset. Let's cultivate a mindset where if you eat the burger, you're not going to be stewing on it for five hours after, and you're not going to want five burgers. Let's just make it an okay part of the day. Yeah. And you're not going to punish yourself after it. I love that. And I just recorded actually an episode today on the topic of motivation and something I spoke about was self-efficacy. I think often self-efficacy gets completely overlooked, but it is the belief, the belief that we have in ourselves, in our ability. And so it sounds like with this food food freedom program, do you call it a program? Yeah, it's a program because it involves weekly coaching with myself and a group, which is where the real magic happens because an online course is good, but if the coaching is there, if you're working with me, we actually go through your examples. The support of the group is amazing. Um, But yeah, to answer your question, it's a program. Yeah. And so it sounds like you really do focus on that self-efficacy element as well. Mm -hmm. Keeping the word to yourself, building yourself up. And when you build yourself up and you do focus on that efficacy, you actually are so less likely to beat yourself with a stick because you're like, no, no, I've got myself. I have Mm -hmm. faith. You don't have to feel like that coiled spring of control that if you lose control, you're going to spring out and ruin everything. Like it just sounds like such a wonderful, wonderful way to dip your toes into the world of food freedom. When does it kick off? Thank you so much. Well, at the moment I'm running calls. So if you download my free 
binge tracker tool in my bio, you will get the option to book a binge eating evaluation call where we just sort of go through if the program's right for you, because I want to make sure it is the right fit for you. You know, I'm not here to um, make a quick buck off this, anything like that. I want to make sure it's the right fit. So there is an application process, but you would be invited to apply if you download my free binge tracker tool, because I know it's for the right person. Awesome. I'll make sure we have those links in our show notes. Thanks so much for sharing uh, with honesty and vulnerability today. Thank you so much. And I hope to be invited to your sandwich date this weekend. (laughs) Anytime, always down. Thank you. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 